all these limits are set in our mind. You can influence those thresholds and break all those barriers that you may have. Till that time, you don't commit to yourself that, you know what, you want to break those uh, ceilings, those barriers, you will remain cocooned in your safe zone and you will not uh, challenge uh, the st status quo. My message is just continue to raise that bar because there are no limits. You're listening to East Meets West Pakistani Professional Journeys Podcast. Welcome to the East Meets West Pakistani Professional Journeys Podcast. Today, we have Ghalib Salam, who's a seasoned corporate banker who boasts over 25 years in financial services and currently serving as a director of commercial markets at RBC. Beginning his career with Anne's Banking Group, Ghalib has cultivated an expertise in business development and advising, making him an invaluable asset to clients throughout various business stages. Outside of banking, Ghalib is a triathlete and an active volunteer in the community. It's a pleasure having you on, Ghalib. Likewise, and thank you so much for having me on the show. All right, sounds good. I guess we could start off in your journey starting in Pakistan. Do you mind just sharing upbringing was in Pakistan and any details that you're willing to share? Yeah, so my primary schooling is at St. Mary's uh, Lalaza uh, in Novelpindi. And then my family moved to Lahore, where I was part of the Punjab national swimming team, and then eventually I became a national junior swimming champion and uh, also the best swimmer of the school. And then I continued with my journey as part of both academic and sports at Gurman College. And then I did my bachelor's from Haley College and moved on to Karachi. And that's a different story altogether after that what happened. But that's where I stand. And I did my MBA from IBA, got married there, and we had our kids there. And then I migrated to Canada in my early 30s. And can you walk through your journey from Pakistan to Canada? Was it like a pretty smooth process or like how was the process like for you? Uh, altogether a different era. Great question. <laughs> because <laughs> at that point in time, the intent was never to actually migrate. But it's it, it was a trend that professionals in part of that setup will be applying for immigration. right? And Canada was uh, top of the list back then. So I plugged in the application and three years down the road, I got, okay, get your medical done and all that. So that was a blinking moment for the family, for a young yeah. family. Okay, what to do next? Kids were like super young. We were young enough to actually migrate, have the right level of energy and good people are, need of, are always wanted in environments which are thriving and looking for talent. Yeah. So it was a leap of faith and came in. If you ask me, Today, folks who are coming in today means 2023 versus yeah. 2006, mm -hmm. huge difference, like right. night and day. Right. People are being integrated, right, in terms of their, not necessarily experience, but overall, academic and, you know, orientation and the ability to influence conversations, etc. No matter even if you had degrees or capability, high caliber, right characteristics, right skills, at that point in time, it was a hit and miss, right? quite different, but I was lucky enough to get assimilated into RPC on contract first, then as a project manager. Yeah. And then since then, never looked back. And what was your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it when you were shifting or uh, during the time of getting set in Canada? Do you recall a challenge that you faced and how did you get past it? Job integration was a challenge. I was yeah. heading a business unit back in Pakistan as part of a multinational bank. But over here, you had to start off at ground zero and 
integrate into the mainstream workforce. I think the biggest opportunity, rather than as a challenge I saw, was that I got into, integrated into the mainstream profession that I was part of. Yeah. And eight months down the road, my team got recognized at regional level in compliance. And then my hiring manager was of the opinion, well, it should go back into looking after corporates and commercial clients, what you have been doing. So you may be a good asset over there. So I've been part of, after a rigorous uh, recruitment process, I was part of the field years ago, because I just celebrated 17 yeah, years with uh, RBC. But, and then I never looked back. It's just that, the to your point, I think culturally, economically, business-wise, I think you need to understand and speak the same language no matter where you are. Yeah. And as a global citizen, like most of us, if it's not all of us, I think we just need to integrate those opportunities and make it part of our ethos to make sure that we stand out and remain uh, relevant and just go above and beyond in terms right. of your capabilities. Okay. I guess in the modern time, there's a lot of young professionals. You see a lot of people jumping jobs two, three years uh, around that time frame and constantly jump. So what has pushed you and allowed you to grow in RBC long-term? What was that uh, process like? And was there like mentors along the way or... How was your process in growing in RBC? Yeah, a great question. I've never actually, even in Pakistan, I was never a strong advocate of moving ships or jumping ships, as we call it. Your talent, your ability to influence conversations, the environment, the ecosystem that you build around you, I, I think it's important. Your impact, your influence, your footprint that you create is super important. Yep. You need to lean on to resources, as you rightly mentioned, mentors and yep. people who are truly not necessarily advocating for you, but are the right people that you listen to them and internalize the constructive uh, conversations that you have with them. And nobody is perfect. You ju just need to get better the following day. Right? Yep. It's brilliant if you can get better the same day, but yep. I think <laughs> you need some time to internalize that constructive, whether you want to call it criticism or your ability to do things differently so that there are no hit and misses next time. Being part of the business environment, people look up to you as a role model. Right. And I think my orientation, my grounding, my educational background, and my exposure in Pakistan has helped me immensely today being a resonating force in the banking network and setup. Why? Because even though I mentor quite a few folks today, but it helps you in making an impact in those conversations because people scramble, right? Nobody is yeah. there uh, with, with a silver spoon and you go hit and miss. And our orientation in Pakistan was quite different in, as part of banking as compared to people at orientation in North America because yeah. you tend to be super focused and, and directed towards one segment of the business. I think my holistic orientation in different organizations and different roles and capacities working with different leaders had definitely helped me to look at things in a much more broader perspective rather right. than keeping the blinders off. Yeah. So I, I think, and even though today, if you are having a client conversation or a team communication or internal business meetings or external business meetings with certain influencers, I think they do recognize and they, they view both the capability and your ability to influence the impact, not necessarily for them, but for the business that they want to take it from level A to level B, right? Got you. And when you first started, I think for some people it's intimidating when you're in a large organization 
And you don't want to be like just a, a person on the side. If you want to actually grow, like how did you do that specifically? Was it more or how do you recommend other people to stand out more in larger yeah. organizations? Banking is a very different business. And after a certain level, and I often come across this glass ceiling, right? So you need to, one, as I said earlier, you need to find advocates for yourself. And literally where I am today is only because a couple of uh, folks who have been highly instrumental in believing in me, yeah. not for the purpose of making an impact, but actually witnessing that I've been able to create an impact and recognizing it. There are yeah. a lot of people who actually create an impact but it's a matter of who recognizes and to what extent. So you need to find the right advocate for you. And I, I think just remain relevant. Yeah. Continue to invest in your talent, in your skills, in your ability to go above and beyond. Because pre-COVID, during COVID and post-COVID, uh, there are three, actually there are three worlds, yeah. which has been able to continue to not define, but redefine the existing status quo. And it will continue to evolve significantly as we speak with induction of technology that we've been talking about for the past five, seven years. And how did you maintain or build relationships in your role as you progressed at RBC? Did you stay connected? What was your process of continuing those relationships long-term? Um, yeah, I, I call it simple invest time in building mm -hmm. relationships, understand the pain points and yep. understand that you see any entrepreneur has a wish list. Today, if they are sitting at whatever threshold, they want to see some, you know, three years, five years down the road, this is where they want to be. You just need to build confidence in reinforcing your commitment behind the business growth and support by, through the, by educating the right advice. And not only by saying, but delivering, right, as well. Right. So it's, it's a two-way uh, commitment. Reciprocation is important, but building trust as a trusted advisor, it takes a it takes time, right? It's a journey. It's not a, a stopgap arrangement yeah. that typically you will uh, experience. Right. And I guess moving towards more of the triathlon experience that you've had, on top of actually working at RBC as a director and building up to your career in RBC, you're also doing triathlon events, the Swissman, the Norseman, and uh, Ironmans. Like, how do you balance that time? Obviously, you have personal stuff and then the work as well, which is probably extremely stressful. And then the triathlon events that you've competed. What's your process of organizing yourself and all that? Yeah, I, probably I didn't find enough stress at the job. That's why I went. But I think it could be the other way around. There was enough stress that I wanted to vent it out, right? So yeah. I personally felt uh, that either one is being either underutilized or in terms of your capability and yeah. one can do more. So rather than you rock the boat, I, I've found passion for the purpose of building momentum. And I think during my early 40s, when things got settled down, kids had settled down themselves, everyone was finding their own sweet spot in yeah. life. I thought it's a great moment to do a self-reflection, both professionally and personally. And my neighbor actually helped me introducing triathlon. And then there is another great friend of mine who used to do fundraising for TCF yeah. for runs. We will do relay runs, 10K. Yeah. So who's going to take the last leg? Okay, somebody will, I'll do the 5K. So I started yeah. off something like that. So my neighbor introduced, Talib, I see you running off and on. So why don't you, have you Sorry. tried doing triathlon? I said, I haven't, but I'll be interested in learning more about it. And that was probably a trigger point that allowed me to start 
from a sprint distance, it gave me a different high. So there are multiple distances in triathlons, yeah. right? So it starts off 100 meter swim to 5K run and then 10K bike, yeah. right? And from there, it can go as long as 4K swim, 180K bike and a full marathon. Just simply gave me a different high altogether, right? right? So that's, that's how I got introduced and assimilated into the sport. And what do you think is the drive that's pushed you to continue these events or were continuing? Like you kept on getting a Norseman and so on. So it's yeah. like very intense, I would say. Like yeah. how No, I, it's everyone gets a different high by doing yeah. something else, right? In my particular case, I think when I did the sprint distance, I went into the Olympic distance and I yeah. said that people who will do half iron are crazy. But eventually next year I did the half iron. <laughs> and when I said the people who would do full iron are even crazier. But the yeah. following year I did the full iron. Right. So I think after you see the changing moment in terms of my thinking was after doing Ironman, I said I wouldn't do an Ironman again because I did the toughest in North America, which is Muskoka. They don't do it anymore. I said I would like to do something more enduring that challenges, gives you a bigger uh, challenge. So I looked up World Toughest Endurance Challenges and over there, there were 10 yeah. out of which one of them was uh, Norseman, uh, which is the World Toughest, well, not the toughest, but the most enduring triathlon even yeah. on the planet. So that was my introduction to XTRI and XTRI is the Extreme Triathlon yes. Network. Mm -hmm. So my first introduction was in 2016 when I attempted Swissman. Yeah. So these Extreme Triathlons, you are part of, it's a I call it a crazy or a cuckoo group of five, 6,000 people globally. And you uh, go for an application process or lottery system. And they select only two, 250 yeah. globally. So I got selected in for 2016 for Swissman. So, so a lot of things, I, I was not aware of the terrain. Of course, when you are visiting these places, you admire the scenic beauty, but you don't actually try to translate that scenic beauty into how enduring it would be on your body when it comes down to acclimatization, the ascents and your muscle power that you need to summit those Alps, whether you're biking or running. So in 16, I attempted Swissman and after probably 120k bike there at top of Furka Pass, which is the highest point of the triathlon, it's around 2,600 meters. I was surrounded by snow and then yeah. thunderstorm kicked in i was super exhausted and i was thrown off the bike like very narrow curvy roads right at that part of the world and it was like sheet of thunderstorm rain coming in i was thrown off the bike three times and eventually i called for sos right yeah. so i personally think probably the best thing that had happened to me because whatever i've done in my life whether it's professional or personal I've always more or less accomplished or succeeded to an extent to finish. Uh, but that was one event that gave me a whole 360 perspective around, okay, what I could have done differently. Yeah. And then I got familiarized to the terrain. One key reason was we reached there probably a day earlier rather than mm. a week earlier, right? Yeah. So the fatigue, <laughs> so there are a lot of things, nutrition, because I, I've been training myself as well both other than the training routines, even the nutrition and all that stuff. But nevertheless, there was a lot that gave me self-reflection around this aspect. So I again went for a 2017 lottery 
and luckily I got selected. Nice. And then I worked again my way, understanding the terrain that what will it take me to finish and to my luck, to my co-deuce, to my support team, I think I was very lucky to finish uh, Swissman and, and I tell you that high I got finishing Swissman gave me like super confidence that you know what, uh, Man was a baby, yeah. like literally <laughs> a baby. Yeah. Right? And if I can do Swissman, I think I need to do more. So they, I, I was part of extra team because they trained me as a race director because I'm hosting my race uh, in Pakistan in Extreme. Yeah. And next year, when I launched the race, COVID hit. So there were two years. It was a whitewash. Right. This year, of course, due to multiple reasons, things can't happen. But next year, I think it's on 30th June or 29th, something like that. Okay. So it's going to happen in Pakistan. Yeah. Okay, that's really good. And in terms of from our diets, like Pakistani diets, like there's a lot of junk food, naans, paratas, all these. And we go to wedding events, it's even worse. So like, how do you maintain that food aspect? I guess that's like in terms of nutrition throughout your training, do you still eat Pakistani food or is it more of the, just like the, the chicken, filet chicken and whatnot? What's yeah. your, yeah. Yeah, no, I eat everything. Oh, wow. Okay. A, <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my best dish is actually Nihari. So if you ask oh. me, right? <laughs> okay. So, so the, the, the catch is, depending on one's life and stage, how good you are and how your metabolism is working for the benefit of burning out that whole calorie intake, right? Yeah. So everyone is different individual. Yeah. You just need to train your body to actually just uh, raise those extra calories and eject that extra fat or convert it into a muscle and etc etc yeah yeah i wouldn't use the word brutal to your own self in terms of punishing your body but i yeah. think it's more about having a regimented routine around yeah. what you do how you do it and yeah calorie intake count is important i, yeah. I would say people one key ingredient that i will completely switch the rather than you have vegetable uh, oil-driven food, just yep. completely switch to desi ghee, right? So I think that will be one key game-changer in one step, provided you are able to burn that out, right? Because this is good fat versus hydrogenated, right? So hydrogenated will actually create clogs in your arteries, yeah. and it will impact your VO2, which is uh, oxygen, yeah. in your blood. And your brain, your body, the blood flows and the oxygen has to be rightly transmitted to all parts of the body. That's the lifeline, right? Got you. There's the physical aspect of the training, but then there's also the mental aspect. Like you need to have the mental fortitude just to finish as well as the training takes time and then there's things that come up. So how did you maintain that mental fortitude of just getting the training done and at the event, not feeling even when your legs are or something is going wrong, you're still able to just push through? Do you think it was more of the challenge that you were mentioning or was there something else that in terms of the mental yeah. aspect? It's in, in long distance endurance races and extreme races, it's, I would say the mental takes, takes over after a certain stage yeah. during the races. Yep. And it's all about attitude. Mm -hmm. So if your goal is to be in top five, top 10, good luck. So yeah. you, you do a lot of mistakes and you burn yourself out and you go, into a permanent injury zone, it could be mentally or physically, whatever. Right. But if you want to be part of that experience and create those memories as part of the ecosystem and be part of that camaraderie around the different athletes who are 
alongside with you for the purpose of achieving a common goal that is getting across the finish line and going through this uh, enduring pain both physically and mentally to overcome uh, those challenges I, I think that's the best experience you can get right and those partnerships and relationships that you forge during those events you it's like a brother or a sisterhood kind of a thing right yeah. and it it's lifelong lasting so the guy I did my first Swiss man with, along with, uh, he couldn't finish because of the thunderstorm. So yeah. guess what? We both bumped into each other on the race day in 2017. And we our, our mental barrier was, okay, you know what? We need to cut. And these races have multiple cutoff times. So yeah. if even though if it's 15 or 20 hour long races, there could be moments that 15 hours into the race or even 17 hours, yeah. you cannot proceed any further and guess what your year-long or day-long year-long training and day-long event management uh, that you ventured into it i wouldn't use the word go waste goes yeah. waste but it's more about it's a disappointment yeah so how do you come across in converting an opportunity into a strength it's all about that do you have any advice for individuals that either are trying to break into the banking sector in the West or triathlons that are building up in the West? Any general advice for both of those cases? Sure. Yeah, no, for banking, I, I would be of the opinion that depending what side of banking you want to be in, I think if you are a strong resonating force and a voice, trusted voice with people, your peers or your clients or the industry values, I think you will always resonate well and you will be well regarded. Yeah. So continue to be a strong advocate, re retain your focus. There'll be a lot of noise around you, whether it's recession, whether it's going, th things are going up or down. It's part of life. We grow with it and we overcome those challenges. And that's what these races have taught me is how, as I said earlier, these are opportunities, right? So always find positives in these opportunities and you will succeed. And, and through experience, you will find a way to make a no or a perhaps into a yes. One. Yeah. Two, in terms of triathlons or even enduring event, I just, exactly four weeks ago, I did my longest, finished my longest enduring event, which is the 100 miles ultra oh. trail run yeah. at Lake Tahoe, which is considered to be probably the top to toughest endurance races in North America. Yeah. It has a net ascent of 20,000 feet. Okay. <laughs> so my goal, because I haven't tested, so my goal was around 30, 32 hours to finish. Yeah. But man, I tell you, that event, it allowed me to internalize a lot of things while going through all those experiencing experiences during the event day. If you ask me if I go back, yes, I'll go back and do it again. But the <laughs> thing is, my, it's, it says that there are no limits. All these limits are set in our mind. You can influence those thresholds and break all those barriers that you may have. Till that time, you don't commit to yourself that, you know what, you want to break those uh, ceilings, those barriers. You will remain cocooned in your safe zone and you will not... Uh, challenge uh, the st status quo. So yeah. my message is just continue to raise that bar because there are no limits. Got you. And I guess ending off, how do you define success in your own terms? What is success to you? Do you have a mantra you follow? Or I think so you mentioned no li limits. Do you think that's 
like the resonating one or is there any other one that you would like to mention? I think whatever touch point I have in life, whether personal or professional, have create great memories. I'm that stage of life where great memories yeah. leave a legacy and build an ecosystem whereby you can be a resonating force, whether professionally or personally, and navigate and help opportunities around you, whether it's people, whether it's circumstances, to get across the finish line. Right. So that's yeah. that's probably success uh, for me. It's important. It could be a race and life is a journey, not a race. Got you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gallup, for being on this podcast and just giving your advice and both professional, your triathlete and general advice. I appreciate it, Azim. It's a pleasure. <laughs>